of people waking up, I suppose, more so to the need to refocus on race equality and tackling racism. It's also had a backlash. So we've seen a real rise in attacks on black and non-white individuals using Black Lives Matter language to goad and, and attack them. everyone and welcome to a new episode of Declarations. Today's episode is part of our We Need to Talk series. Our We Need to Talk series focuses on issues concerning race. We talk about racial justice, racial injustice, and how to be an active anti-racist in your communities. And so today we're going to talk about hate crimes, specifically hate crimes occurring in the United Kingdom. And we have with us today the wonderful Alex Rakes and our panelist, Ashley. Alex became strategic director of Stand Against Racism and Inequality, Sari, a leading regional hate crime charity in 2014, having joined as their first caseworker in 1991 under the leadership of the founder, director, the late Batuk Pandya MBEDL. Alex has gone on to be a driving force in Sari and its surrounding areas for tackling racism and hate crime, ensuring a best practice response by responsible agencies and ensuring that conflicts between and within communities are minimized so safety, security, and cohesion is maintained for all. Alex is a trustee of the Learn and Multi Academy Trust, which provides specialist education provision for children with communication barriers and alternative education for young people excluded from the mainstream. She is a member of the University of Bristol Court, was awarded an MBE in 2009 for her contribution to race relations, was made an honorary Doctor of Laws by the University of West of England in 2019, announced as Bristol's High Sheriff in nomination for 2022 in November 2019, and made Deputy Lieutenant of Bristol in July 2020. Crucially, as a dual heritage individual with four sons, Alex has first-hand experience of racism and running a busy, lively household. Alex, it is an absolute honor to have you on our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Really glad to be here. It's a pleasure. Um, So today we're here to talk about hate crimes. We've seen hate crimes increase by a tremendous rate, particularly after um, you know, the EU referendum. I saw a statistic on Stop Hate UK, which said that three months after the referendum, 14,000 hate crimes were reported, a 55% increase in racially motivated crimes, and an 80% increase in religiously motivated crimes. And I think before we begin this discussion, we'd like to sort of define what the scope and limitations of hate crimes are. So what exactly is encompassed within hate crimes when we start to talk about it? So hate crime is kind of what it says, if you like. It's basically any crime that's motivated by hatred, prejudice towards someone based on some, not all, protected characteristics. Not all of them are recognised in criminal laws. The ones that are recognised is race, uh, religion, sexual orientation, and transgender identity. Those are the ones that are recognised in criminal law. Um, Police and ourselves, we will often recognise other types of um, hate-motivated prejudice as well. So we recognise age-based hate crime. 
we recognize misogynistic abuse so so where it's sex or gender um and we recognize things like alternative dress as well so you know we have had people murdered because they dress differently um and we we would also i mean i also i have seen people being murdered because they're a street sex worker um, and and people being murdered or very badly attacked as well because they are street homeless but that's not a protected characteristic um it's because of their vulnerability really and and society's prejudice towards them but they're not those are not recognizing criminal law you also have hate incidents which is where people are being targeted um again through hatred motivated on the grounds of protected characteristic but it's not a crime and examples of that could be some types of verbal abuse where it doesn't it's not considered to be serious enough to be a crime it could be um noxious substances um being put on your property um tampons food horrible things being thrown on people's land um it could be rubbish nuisance so literally tipping um uh, someone's dustbin over on their land um taking a dog to de- defecate on someone's garden so some of these things are, are antisocial behavior or they're hate incidents but they're not hate crimes um most 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 incidents are a crime most of them but not all and have you seen a drastic increase so we've seen the statistics that have said there's been a drastic increase after brexit have you personally seen in your work and in your organization an increase after brexit so yeah i mean firstly i think there's a lot of emphasis in the news to go on about it being on the rise and all the rest of it um but mm-hmm. actually hate crime racist abuse racial harassment all of the you know homophobic abuse has always been really severe and really high it's a, mm-hmm. it's 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 a regular frequent form of abuse going on all day every day in our country mm-hmm. in other countries as is domestic abuse and there's always a lot of dialogue and rhetoric around oh it's massively gone up fact is it's always really serious and prevalent it's a very prevalent form of abuse in our society and not recognized as such but to answer your question yes we saw a dramatic rise after brexit and the and also i always say racism and other forms of hate crime change their tail according a bit like a virus according to what's going on in society around us brexit led to a change in the language used so we saw a, a, a reverting back to language we hadn't seen for decades so go back home go back to where you belong you don't belong here this isn't your country you're taking all our jobs that hadn't been a, that hadn't been that sort of language hadn't been being used for some years um but it's it's come back with a vengeance since brexit we also saw a big increase in attacks on white minorities so on people who were eu eu migrants people who are deemed to be from um from the EU um were being attacked in a way they hadn't been before so we saw a real big rise on eastern europeans french spanish italians um so and but we also saw a corresponding rise on black and asian british uh people and like i remember one case which was a, a, a single mum walking past with her dual heritage child in a buggy past a pub and she this is when brexit was you know the referendum was going on and she got you need to go back to where you come from you're going to be sent back now you don't belong here and she's a white british mum with a mixed race child we also saw a young polish man who left a football match um beaten up and punched again with the same sort of rhetoric and language during that time very seriously uh, uh, injured he had fractured bones from that in his face so 
yeah, we had some very, very serious incidents around the Brexit referendum, which tailed off, you know, it, it calmed down. And then, we, we, you know, we've been worried whether it would rise again, but we haven't really seen a peak due to Brexit since the mm-hmm. referendum in the same way. We've seen spikes for other reasons. What are those other reasons? Um, so we saw a really big spike. So COVID, with the first lockdown, everything went very quiet because everyone was locked down and it was all a bit new to everyone. And mm-hmm. after the lockdown got eased, there was a massive spike. Also, even as we were going into lockdown, when COVID first came about, we had real heightened rise in attacks towards people perceived to be Chinese or Southeast Asian. Um, so particularly, we saw a lot of attacks on students, people on buses and frontline workers as well. Um, and then we had a really big spikes around the Manchester Arena and London Bridge attacks. So when there's so-called Islamic terror attacks, you've had big, big rises in religious-based hate crime and in racist mm. abuse as well. So those are some examples, but this is, ha- this is what happens with hate crime. It tends to spike after particular things um, going on. Black Lives Matter has had an impact as well. So whilst it's had a very positive impact of people waking up, I suppose, more so to the need to refocus on race equality and tackling racism. It's also had a backlash. So we've seen a real rise in attacks on black and non-white individuals using Black Lives Matter language to goad and, and attack them. So we've, had, we've also had things like children in school being knelt on and said, you should stop, you know, why are you still breathing? Um, so sort of mocking the George Floyd attack by attacking black and non-white people. I had another case of um, a guy, a black guy who's working in a large, large, large organisation, which meant he had to go out and do site visits. And he, he went to visit one of the sites in Cornwall. And while he was on that visit, a guy came up to him. This was just after George Floyd had been murdered. A guy came up to him and said, why are you still breathing? Um, so there's been quite a lot of incidents that you can see the language is connected to Black Lives Matter and to George Floyd. And you can imagine how deeply, deeply upsetting that is to the victims. That's horrific to, to hear. Um, I mean, you're, you're um, in the Southwest, aren't you? You're based in the Southwest. And I was just thinking um, of a really iconic moment that happened in Black Lives Matter where they pulled the statue of Edward Colston down and Edward Colston was a merchant during the 18th century who was engaged in slave trading. Um, and I was wondering exactly how this was felt within, within the charity. Was there a sense that people, yeah, like a backlash, like you were talking about, or did you feel like there was a sort of a quietening of, of hate crimes or does it, does it never stop? Never stops. Um, so on the one hand, like I said to you, um, George Floyd, the George Floyd killing um, and then the rise in the Black Lives Matter movement and then the toppling of the Colston statue and all the events around this have had a huge impact on our work. In some ways, we've had a huge rise in like support, solidarity, people asking to how they can help us, donations. Also, a huge rise in requests for help because it's made more people wake up to, this, to the abuse they're suffering and deciding they're going to do something about it or reports that they can see it's happened to someone else. Those are positives. The backlash has been the sort of case I just told you about, but also after the toppling of the statue, we, ha- we have a grave um, 
called, there's a great young black slave called Scipio Africanus, which is a listed grave in North Bristol. And it's a very famous grave because it was very rare that, that slaves got graves. And he got a gravestone from his master um, because you know he was obviously valued and he died pretty young. Um, and that was consecrated as a retaliation to the Colston statue being toppled and threats were left sprawled on the on the grave, um, threatening what would happen if it wasn't put back. We've also had attacks on our mayor, who's a black mayor. We have a black mayor, Marvin Reese, and he had direct threats and attacks, not just locally, but internationally, because he was seen as responsible for the pulling down of the Colston statue. So him and his family have been attacked, and that's been in the news, so I can talk about it. And Sari has been supporting him and his family because of that as well. Um, so that, that's just a couple of examples, but there's been a lot. We had a White Lives Matter protest not long after as well. Um, and that's been happening all over the place, as you all have seen. Um, so yeah, the, the toppling of that statues led to an international questioning of who should our statues be? Who should we be, um, you know, lauding? <laughs> And who should we be putting up there as our, as our heroes? You know? And it's a really important debate. It's really important. And it's not a new one. If you look back over history, time and time again, people have pulled down and changed who they want to put up there for, to, to recognise in history. As you, you know, how many women are, are recognised in statues and, um, you know, we, we can see all, all through time in history, certain people with power are the ones that get put up as statues. So the bringing, the bringing down of Colston has caused a very important awakening of who do we want recognised in our statues and other memorabilia. And yet people are using that. There's, there's a huge backlash to that, isn't there? Saying that we're destroying and erasing history when we're not, we're making history. We're making history and we're questioning who we should remember in history as well. And there's nothing new in that. I don't know why it's kind of seen as a, as, a, as a new human movement. It's not new. And I think it's absolutely right that we question who we want to put up in public places for, for local people, for our future generations to remember. Um, do we want our future generations to think that our statues are people the statues, are pe the people we should respect are people that were involved in atrocities such as the slave trade. Do we want Jimmy Savile's statues up? I don't think so. I don't think anyone's questioning that. I just think, you know, it's absolutely right that we, that we replace statues with people that deserve to be respected and who deserve to go down in history. They're not erased because Colston's statue is worth a lot more now. It's worth a lot more um, as a piece of art um, and it's going into a museum where it belongs, with due explanation, in my view. So looking at, you know, you say that we sometimes, so we move forward and then we get this massive backlash, this pushback. How does Sari tackle that sort of backlash? What are we meant to do to sort of overcome the backlash that we get when we sort of, when we seem to be moving forward and then you have this massive pushback about people who are saying, no, you know, the, the racist things like go home, I mean, sadly, I think it, it's quite hard to always correctly predict the backlash you're going to get. We did predict there would be a backlash to Brexit. We did predict there'd be um, 
a backlash to Black Lives Matter. I did predict there would be attacks on the back of Colson statue being pulled down because you get to know. And the minute there is um, a terror attack, a so-called Islamic terror attack, I'm ready and waiting for what's going to happen next. And we have we now got very used to doing a lot of preventative work. And also, I think you can you can avoid some backlash if you've got time to prepare. So there was a lot of work done around Brexit. There was a lot of work to prepare communities to try and, and get messages out there so that people would know to report. Um, you know, so we did a lot of work that hopefully reduced the amount of impact and harm that was caused. Um, but, you know, Brexit was a very divisive, divisive act in itself, um, which we, you know, we could have stopped by it not happening, but it did happen. And, you know, that's, that's governments and that's politics for you. So, um, but once we know things are going to happen, we can, we can minimise harm, we can prepare, we can inform, we can be ready. When there's a so-called terror attack, we've got good ways of working now to look out for, like the police now do special analytics of their crimes. So they very, very quickly, just through the use of certain words in the report, can start, can trigger a response. So with Brexit, um, they did a lot of analysis that identified that these that, that the abuse I mentioned to you was being used for. Okay. We, we told them that was happening before they analysed it because we were seeing it on the ground. But then they were able to confirm what we were saying and evidence it through proper data analytics and analysis of, their, of the, their reports. And now what they can do is they can do what's called predictive analytics. So they can actually predict that certain types of incident will lead to certain types of backlash, which allows us all to prepare for it, to, to mean that we've got um, local organisations, local community groups, local um, place of worship, we can get people ready to look out for people in need quickly. And we can also try and send out messages to, to lower the kind of the publics, to lower negative reactions. Um, so we can like do things like work with our local media to put out really positive messages from our, so for example, after the Manchester Arena and the London Bridge attack, we put messages out through our newspapers, jointly with our Muslim communities. We brought together um, faith communities jointly with people like Sari and the police and other people in positions of authority to say, as a Muslim community, we do not condone this attack. We, we abhor it. We don't, we don't condone it. Um, it doesn't represent us. It's not Islamic, etc. So really strong messages that get out to the public to hopefully reduce the chance of people reacting stupidly and negatively to it. Um, so there's lots you can do um, to, 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 minimize, to minimize harm and to bring down um, people's level of hostility you, you can, and let people's level of ignorance as well. Um, and then you have to spend, Sari does a lot of work that's very reactive so we react, we do casework, but we do as much as we can to be preventative, to do education, to work with children and young people, to go into schools, to do training for agencies so that we, we try and maximise awareness, um, minimise ignorance, minimise myths, minimise scapegoating. 
because you know scapegoating is foolish uh, and we want people to understand that you know you need to see every single person as an individual and that we've worked really hard to 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 have a society that respects difference and allows people to have different beliefs and allows people to live freely and happily regardless of their ethnic origin and background we've worked hard to have a society that supports that um that 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 way of life so i think you can get those messages out there and it really helps i guess it's a lot about sort of bringing back the social cohesion that's that's been broken down by the hostility but you you mentioned earlier about working uh, with the trans community um and i was just wondering obviously people who are living at the intersection of class race and gender and sexuality are going to be facing much more serious crimes and forms of abuse um i mean there was a really really famous case um of naomi hersey in in london a transgender black woman who who was um murdered and obviously a very distressing case and i think it's like it's so shocking to see that how our society is so far behind in their views on trans people um and in particular trans women of color how long have you got on this issue because um i guess Sari works really hard to fight for the rights of people at the blunt end of hate and trans community are facing just about the worst situation I've seen for decades you you know it has gone massively backwards um right now if you're trans and particularly if you're visually trans you know if you're a trans woman um you are you're it's, it's a very scary time right now um People, there is a, a very organised campaign against trans people being able to self-identify, as, as you probably know. Um, it's incredibly organised and it's quite extreme in my view. And I don't understand why people have got a problem with people self-identifying, but some people have a huge problem with that. And I understand that, you know, there is an argument that trans people, particularly trans women, are invading the space of women and all of this. And I don't want to go into a long debate because there's a lot of um there's a lot of arguments at the moment going on out there what i am particularly upset about like distraught about is what is happening to trans people on the ground and that people are having to literally hide people you know are too scared to to go out to to even go out on social media um to have a public persona um to deliver trans awareness training, people are frightened of that. We are seeing attacks all over the country on any policy that is, in my view, best practice guidance for how to support trans people, how to make sure trans people are supported in education, in health, in mental health, in employment, but particularly health, mental health, and education. Um, the, the, the organised anti-trans activists are looking for any policy or procedure being put out and getting it taken down very successfully, um, saying that it's, um, that it's promoting, for example, um, surgery, you know, um, for children and young people. It's a complex debate, but right now all I can tell you is the impact is extreme hatred and almost... It feels like an, you know, like an erasure. You know, it's like people 
are not being allowed to be trans. They're not being allowed to self-identify. They're not being allowed to choose the gender that they believe they should should be. And Sari's done a lot of work uh, in this area and we've been targeted. I've been targeted. Um, and it's very clever the way you're targeted. You know, you get, you get, I, well, I won't go into details. It's very clever and it's very underhand. Um, we're trying to, um, you know, we're trying to do work around getting best practice guidance for medical and health practitioners. And we're being blocked all the way. And all we're trying to do is put out very basic guidance on how best to meet the needs of trans people in medical and healthcare settings. And it's being blocked through a tirade of complaints. It's so it's horrific to hear, isn't it? It is. And so when you've got that going on by people who are purporting to do it legally and on and basically purporting to do it on the grounds of equality, just imagine actual acts of criminal hostility because that people at the moment, trans people are being targeted lawfully, actually. So and people are trying to break down the legal protections that are already afforded to trans people because they're saying that they're too that, that the laws are, are allowing them too many freedoms. So um, I'll probably get targeted for saying this on your program. Um, but I do feel very, very strongly about people having the right to self-identify. And I think children and young people who are gender questioning need to be supported on their journey and not blocked from their journey. I'm not, I'm not arguing that surgical intervention is a good thing. I'm not arguing that. I'm saying that that needs to be, that is a case by case basis and people need to be given time and supported in the right way to do the right thing for their long-term health and well-being. But I do believe that children and young people who are gender questioning should, it's, it, there's plenty of evidence to show that the best outcomes, the best psychological outcomes come from bit, being given the support and the freedom to express themselves. And then, and then to be safe while they do that as well. And we have gone backwards, really backwards. And I mean, the, th the thing that worries me, I, I, I read a statistic that was put forward by the police that the hate crime towards transgender um, people had gone up by 81% since 2019. And what I was thinking was, that's just the cases that are recorded. And obviously, this is such a highly stigmatised case. Um, there will be so many who aren't coming forward with their abuses or their hate crimes. And I wondered, do you find that this is quite a common thing that people who are being attacked find it difficult to come forward well it's really hard to come forward right now it's really hard to come forward it's it's really hard to even like have a twitter account you know you you know even even standard normal social media for a trans person is is high risk at the moment which is which is awful it's awful basically the, the amount of dead naming going on you know the amount of outing of people um the, 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 the amount of trolling going on. So that's, that's social media. It's really, really difficult right now to, 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 to be out there if you're trans. Um, especially, as I said, if you're visually trans, because some people, it's obvious they're trans, and other people, it's not at all. So some people can just can go get on with their life because they're not, no one knows they're trans, and that's, that's their right. But other people, it's much harder to do that.
thanks for thanks for sharing your your views on this topic. I was wondering how you know how people can be better allies. So, what advice do you have for you know our the students listening or people listening to this podcast? How can they be better allies? Um, how can they take action in their communities? How can they help? Yeah. So, first of all, is you know get involved. There is a lot of um, anti hate organizations and movements um it, the best thing is not, rather than me naming which ones is to look up those that are happening locally in your university in your community um look up the causes that you most want to affiliate with get involved um anything you can do to promote allyship ally schemes um to um get training and awareness as well so um if you're a student who's involved if you're a student and you're involved in a society or involved in the university um, politics or involved in any university organized group, then it then invo- um, organize training, organize awareness training around hate crime, around equality, around diversity, but also around specific groups as well. Have disability awareness, have trans awareness, have LGB awareness, have race equality awareness training, because actually each of those different areas as a whole load of its own learning and make sure the training or awareness is done by people from those communities because that's how you'll get um, really good lived experience and you'll get really expert advice as well around what you can do to make a difference read learn educate yourselves basically it's very easy I think a lot of people are what I call non you know they're non-racist non-homophobic non-discriminatory but they're not anti mm-hmm. um, and we need people. It's a bit like you know, if you build, if you care about um, the climate crisis, then it's no good just talking about it. You know, you need to recycle. You need to look at how you minimise you minimise your impact on this planet, um, to so that you're actually being respons- taking individual responsibility for making a difference to tackle the climate crisis. Um, it's the same when it comes to dealing with hate crime. It, you need to do more than just be non. You know, you need to take an active step and you need to do more so that we can protect these freedoms and keep people safe. Um, otherwise, people will carry on getting attacked anyway. You know, if we don't all take individual responsibility to make sure that we're doing everything we can in our lives to promote respect and to promote tolerance. I don't like the word tolerance. To promote respect and, and to promote cohesion and to promote... To, to promote an environment around us where people are safe regardless of their protected characteristic. The laws we have are really, really precious. Um, we need to protect them, fight for them, argue for them, check they're not being eroded, and in fact, make them stronger. Um, and of course, you represent a university where we have some of the most, we have future leaders, we have future policymakers, we have future change makers about to be released out there and I just think you know you you need members of your university to be going forward with the right um, the right knowledge the right understanding and a recognition of the power they have to make a difference in this world when it comes to hate crime discrimination they need to be going out there when they when they are going when they when they become our future leaders our future politicians our future change makers our future policymakers, they need to go out there and make sure they tackle hatred and discrimination with every bit of work that they do. 
So I, I couldn't emphasize that enough, that, that, that sort of individual responsibility that you need everybody to take, basically. Great. Thank you so much. That was an inspiring point to end this discussion on. Before we finish, I'd like to ask, is there one single point that you'd like our listeners to sort of get out of our discussion? If they were to forget everything and pick up one main point, what would that be? Oh my goodness, you should have warned me with that question. I think it's going to have to be, um, go out and be a change maker. Go and be a change maker. Go out there, do not be be passive. Do not be non. Go out there and be determined to make a difference. When I look at something like race equality, for example, Mm -hmm. I'm sick and tired, I'm sick and tired of leaders and agencies saying, um, well, you know what, um, we've tried, but yeah, we're not very representative, but you know, people just aren't really applying, they don't really want to work for us. And I get really angry with that because I'm sorry. The way they should be thinking is it's compulsory for them to make their agencies represent the communities they serve. Okay, Tesco's and Amazon and a lot of companies have recognized that it's compulsory to their business model to meet the needs of diverse customers. So, and that's a business case, so it's not even ethical. They're not ethical. But no organization should be saying, oh, I've tried, but you know what? I just, I can't, you know. No, they shouldn't be. They should be saying it's compulsory. And if they see it as compulsory, if they see it like GDPR, which they turned around in two years, do you know what I mean? They would do something about it, wouldn't they? So I just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having that. It is compulsory. And that's what I'd like to say to everybody out there. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure and honor to have you on our podcast. Thank you for sharing your views with us. And thank you for all of the inspiring work you do. Thank you for being such an inspiring force for change. And a big thank you to our wonderful panelist, Ashling, as well. You heard it here, everyone. Be an active anti-racist. Take action. Speak up against racism, discrimination, hate speech, and hate crimes. There is no room for this in our communities. Speak up and be a force for change. You can find more information on our episode on our website, www.declarationspod.com. You can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. A big thank you to our sound editor, Max Parnell. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you for listening. My name is Muna Gassim from the Center of Governance and Human Rights. This was Declaration.